you uh, lack confidence because you procrastinate. Now, the whole definition of confidence is self-trust. Like if you go to dictionary.com and look up confidence, it's trust in yourself. So how do you build trust in yourself? By doing what you say you're going to do. It's not about achieving things either. It's just following through on your commitments. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Creative Chats. It's the podcast for artist makers and content creators where we talk about creativity, the creative process, and story. I'm your host, Mike Brennan. You can connect with me over on Instagram, I'm at MikeBone, or on my website, which is MikeBrennan.me. Hey, I'd love for you to stop by DailyCreativeHabit.com. I've created several resources with you in mind as a creative person. First, there's a link to our free private Facebook group, called Daily Creative Habit. It is filled with creatives of all types who have raised their hands to say, I wanna show up more consistently for my creativity and craft. And so if that's you, we would love to see you as part of this group. There's also a link to receive our free Daily Creative Habit email newsletter. This goes out twice a week and is filled with resources and inspiration and daily prompts for you as a creative person to make sure that you keep showing up every single day for your creativity. And lastly, there's a link out to the new Daily Creative Habit Guided Creativity Journal. And this is something that I'm really excited about because it's a 90-day journey that you can go on that guides you to plan and show up for your creativity and help you track and help you measure and figure out exactly what it is that you want to do and how you want to do it. This is available right now through Amazon.com. Hey, I got to sit down with Miriam Schulman, artist and author of the book, Artpreneur, and we have a great conversation that talks a lot about the things that she reveals in her new book, uh, namely some things like confidence and how does one actually be able to step into confidence? Are they able to grow into that if they feel like they don't have that? We talk about the importance of email and marketing and the difference between social media and email and where we really need to be putting our efforts. We talk about um, building relationships and sales and so many more things. Um, there's, there's just a wealth of information and experiences that Miriam has had and she shares freely, not only in her book and her podcast, which we talk about, but also in this conversation. And I love when I get to have these connections and these conversations because it really gets to the heart of the matter of things. And I know you're going to enjoy this conversation, learn a lot from it, and want to be sure to not only pick up the book, but also follow Miriam and um, continue the conversation long after this podcast is over. So without further ado, here is my creative chat with Miriam Schulman. Well, Miriam, welcome to the Creative Chats podcast. Thanks so much for being here. Well, thanks for having me, Mike. It's it's such an honor. I love when I get to speak with other visual artists and people who are just creative entrepreneurs because um, just sharing stories and examining journeys, uh, there's just such a wealth of experience and wisdom to be had. And so I can't wait to get into some of that stuff today with you. Yeah, I'm excited too. It's always fun to talk to a fellow a fellow, I call them affectionately weirdos, fellow weirdo. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> yeah, we'll we'll wear that like a badge of honor for sure. That's right. Well, that that's one of the chapters in my book is embrace your inner weirdo. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, speaking of which, uh, you have a book that's coming out, Artpreneur, and uh, excited about that. Uh, it, it's an incredible book uh, filled with just so much. Um, you know, the thing I appreciate is that you don't just give like concepts that are like high level and then tell people like, OK, go figure it out. Um, you you present these things and then you go deeper and you say, OK, practically, here's what you can do. Here's what this looks like. And here's some examples from my own experiences and the people around me. And so I really appreciate your approach to that because I think too many times people err on one side or the other. But giving this very well-rounded presentation for people, uh, it's very engaging. So thank you for doing that. Oh, I, I, thank you. Um, I just knew when I started to write this book, I knew we needed this book because mm. there isn't anything like it for a visual artist like us. And there just isn't enough, even um, in the marketing space, you look at these marketing gurus and they're all saying, they're all talking to weight loss coaches. Right. And it's like, I don't get it. What does this have to do with me? So, and I have, there's so many creatives who are struggling and the world needs our art right now more than ever. I mean, coming mm -hmm. out of the pandemic, I mean, I know we're still in it, but whenever there, there's these existential crisis, like a, a world war, um, the pandemic, the AIDS crisis, 9-11, Art is so important. And so I, I want to help as many artists as I can help because it helps the world to have our art and the world can't have our art if we're not good marketers because yes. they just don't know about it. Right, right. Yeah, it's one thing to make something. It's another thing to be able to get it in front of the right people and talk about it in a way that connects. Yes. Yeah, yeah. and I think you're right because that stuff, even if you went to art school, uh, now, I went to art school and granted, it was a while ago. I won't say how long, but, um, <laughs> you know, those things weren't talked about. It was mostly about skill set and about, you know, landing the right job someplace in a corporation or whatever design firm or whatever. Um, and really, there weren't as many tools as there are today, uh, nor anybody talking about them. So I'm glad that the conversations have been changing and continue to. And just even for the the things that you're presenting Again, um, in this book and on your podcast, even and just as you show up, I, I love that you're open handed about your own journey. And, you know, I was even listening to one of your podcasts recently where you were talking about the process of doing this book and just real time walking it out, talking to the people who are involved and saying, here's what's happening. Here's what I'm going through in this process. And um, that's so valuable to be that transparent in the process, you know. Well, the, the thing is, Mike, is that a lot of artists who come to me, they have a, a, a lot of imposter syndrome around their art and they're, they're emerging artists. And, and some of them think they're beginners, even though they're not like they're already right. making money, but everybody thinks they're not enough. So I have a lot of confidence around my art and around selling it because I've been doing it for 20 years. And I knew that it was very important for people to hear how... I got smacked in the head too with imposter syndrome with writing this book. So it really helped me create more empathy. Not that I didn't have empathy before, but I had a little, I had sympathy and not necessarily empathy before. Right, yeah. So it really helped create empathy for what the artists in my community are going through because 
I just had such a strong belief over the years in my art that I didn't really experience the level of, of uh, mind drama around it that I have around writing a book because that was a brand new creative venture for me. So, you know, it's an it's important conversation to have. And whenever I'm, I'm in the book or on the podcast, it, I'm always relating things that aren't, it's not a self-indulgent thing. It's not going to be, this is about me. I'm sharing things that I know that p- other people need to hear because Mike, you and I right now, we're in conversation right now with like this multi-eyed, let's call it this multi-eyed monster that's listening in. Like there's somebody else at the table with us. And I'm always aware of the, 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 the listener and the person who's there, what's interesting to them, what's important for them to hear. And I knew that was something that was important for other people to hear. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, one of the things that you were very transparent about, too, is even in the book, you talk about how, you know, you started your journey with being interested in art and really being excited about this. But really, ultimately, you ended up going more the practical way, right? That's a story that many of us creative people find ourselves with that crossroads. And probably the voices around us say, are you sure you want to be an artist? Are you sure you want to be that crazy? Can't you be a doctor? Can't you be a lawyer? Something that makes money, you know, whatever. And so we have to wrestle our way through that. And for a a lot of us, it is going the path of practicality to then be smacked in the face with going, this is not where I should be. This is not fulfilling. This is not, um, this doesn't feel like I'm showing up how I should be showing up on this planet. Um, and I need to yeah. do something about that. Right. So can you talk a little bit about like that moment for you when you realized like, okay, I'm, I'm in this situation, I've chosen a path, it's not working. And now I need to figure out how to get out of this. Like, what did you do? Yeah. So like, like many, many other artists, I was told that I couldn't make a living and I believed them. I swallowed the Kool-Aid and being from a single parent household, my father passed away when I was five years old. I went to um, college on financial aid. And so when I graduated, I didn't feel that I really had an option of not making a lot of money. I had the student loans to pay back. So I said, okay, where's the money? I'm going to go to Wall Street. That's where the money is. Fine. There was no in between for me. I didn't, I never stopped believing I was an artist. I just didn't believe I could make a living from it. Mm-hmm. So when 9-11 happened, because that's how old I am. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was already, you know, was, how, how old am I? I'm 54. So we'll just put that out there right now. Mm-hmm. And you're supposed to be shocked, by the way. You're not, you're not <laughs> sufficiently shocked. I am. I'm just, uh, okay, all right. the video froze, like, the audio. <laughs> okay. I'm 51. So I'm right there with you. Okay. Uh, yeah, all right. Yeah, I get it. I so get it. when 9-11, ha- I, I had, so I, I actually had already taken a step back from, I was already disillusioned before 9-11 happened. And I had taken a step back um, when I was pregnant with my second child. I had saved enough money that I had the luxury to do so. And I was thinking, should I go back to work or not? Go, meaning back to corporate. But when 9-11 happened, I took that as a sign from the universe. That was like the crossing the threshold moment. And, you know, in all heroes journey, you yeah. know, with like, Lord of the Rings, thou shalt not pass. You know, there's always a moment where they cannot return. They cannot go back. Luke's planet blows up. Dorothy's house gets blown away. So every hero goes through this where they they start this journey, but then they maybe they want to come back. And 9-11 was that moment, that crossing the threshold moment where there was not going to be a turning back. 
So I wanted to work on my art. I still really didn't believe or understand how that would be possible. I did start working on my art right away, but I also took a job as a Pilates instructor. And when I was working at the gym, they were training us how to sell personal training packages. And that's when I had my aha moment, because that's when I understood that these were skills and I could Mm -hmm. use these skills to sell my portraits. So that was like my big moment for me. And uh, I've been dedicated to the art of learning marketing ever since as well, you know, as well as my art and now sharing all that knowledge with the world. Yeah. I think there's a certain amount of resourcefulness that you need to have because even for you to be in that context and have the thought of, oh, this isn't just this side quest, this side story that has nothing to do with the bigger picture of my life. This is actually teaching me some things that I'm now going to carry over to the right context for me. Um, And so just to have that awareness to be able to do that and then actually do that, um, I think that's something that people should be clued into because so many times we can find ourselves in situations where we're like, yeah, I don't don't understand this chapter of my story. Like, what does this have to do with anything? Mm. Um, And then yet, stopping for a moment and really thinking about, okay, what is something that can be redeemed here? Even if it seems like it's the most sideways thing ever, you know, um, there's got to be something that you can learn from it. Somehow it's going to make you into the person you need to be for the other thing or wherever you're going. You know, it's, it's the pit stop places, you know? Yeah. Um, um, I like to say nothing is wasted Mm-hmm. And a good metaphor for that, that artists can appreciate. And so this is like an, I love that this is an artist podcast. So I can yeah. use some of these things. Like when I go into these marketing podcasts, I can't talk about this. Right. So when you're creating a painting, there's always like the underpainting that goes underneath that by the time you're done, there's all these layers on top that so you don't necessarily see the underpainting, but that underpainting informs everything else. And that's what our lives are like. There's all these things that happen in our life. And it does inform things. You may not know how or why, like the underpainting that's a little more obvious. Less obvious is maybe more abstract artists with, you know, that you think you're painting on top of something and covering it up, but really it always informs the rest of the journey of that artwork. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I love that analogy. Yeah. Cause it's so true. Um, all these layers of things and we're complex, yes. we're, we're complex people, you know, it's not simply yes. just, okay, a very linear journey and path. And, you know, we all know that. And sometimes I think we can get, a, we can get frustrated because we feel like everybody else's journey and story looks like that except ours. And then we start talking about some of these things. And, and I love that that dispels those lies for people and go, no, you know what, we're all just trying to figure stuff out and we may be in different places on our journey, but, um, there's still places where we're like, yeah, I'm not really sure what to do with that piece yet, or I'm still working my way through this um, and looking for the other side, you know? <laughs> yeah, I read a beautiful quote um, in Jerry Saltz's book. And for those who don't know, he's the art critic of um, New York Magazine. Uh, and I actually had to write it down. There was something like, let's see if I can find it. Um, here it is. Everyone in the art world is learning on the job. Mm. I was like, yeah. oh, yes, that is yeah. 100% true. They we're Absolutely. all making it up. Yeah, yeah. Now you can and get you- there faster when you have good master teachers, whether you're learning right. art or marketing or whatever it is that you're trying to master. Absolutely, they will help you along that journey much faster. 
Yeah. Like, Obi, the, you need an Obi-Wan. Exactly. I was just you. about to say, yeah, the guides, the guides for sure. That's yeah. right. You need a guru yeah. to like. Yeah. One of the things too, that you mentioned earlier, and you mentioned a lot in your book, um, in the early chapters, and I think this is important to talk about too, is this idea of confidence, right? Um, I think a lot of creative people lack confidence and they may feel like it's not something that they can get because they're not wired a certain way. You know, I'm too introverted. I'm too shy. I, I don't have the right opportunities or the right makeup as a person or whatever. Right. Um, and I know I've had to go through that. I, I mean, I think probably all of us have to go through some kind of season of developing the confidence in who we are, what we do and being able to show up more authentically of who we are. Um, and that, that's, that's a process, right? Um, but what would you say to somebody who, who comes to you and says that, says, you know, I don't know, I just, I feel like I don't have the confidence. I don't know if I'll ever be able to have that. I mean, what do I do? Yeah, I do talk about this in Entrepreneur because there's a misconception that um, co confidence comes first and that allows mm -hmm. you to do other things. And the story that I tell is there was a client who came to me. Um, I think her fake name in the book is Margaret. It's not her real name, obviously. Uh, so she had said, you know, I procrastinate because I lack confidence. I said, oh, no, it's the other way around. You uh, lack confidence because you procrastinate. Now, the whole definition of confidence is self-trust. Like if you go to dictionary.com and look mm. up confidence, it's trust in yourself. So how do you build trust in yourself? by doing what you say you're going to do. Hmm. It's not about achieving things either. It's just following through on your commitments. So you can increase your self-trust by saying you're going to do something and then doing it. And every time you don't do what you say you're going to do, you erode your self-trust. Hmm. So you That's erode huge. your confidence. Yeah. So we actually do have control over that. And it's not something you're wired with. It's something that you can choose. And chapter one is choose to believe. So you can choose to believe that you're confident by starting by following through on your commitments. Yeah. Yeah. That is so, so, so huge. Um, and I think many people honestly don't stop to think about any of that and they just accept what is. Uh, and they're missing out a, a huge step in things. And and I think maybe that's why some people don't advance, right? Because they're not able to recognize that, oh yes, I do have skill. I do have the ability to show up and do what's, you know, what I'm called to do here in this context and and then talk about that, right? Because you're not gonna, yeah. if you don't have confidence, you're not gonna talk about the things that you do. You're not, you're gonna show up very differently if you show up at all. And um, so working on that piece, um, I know for me in my journey, it's funny, even though I was in art school and was in design field, you know, in New York City for a long time, various positions, it wasn't until like I walked away from my art and came back to it and started this whole thing of like, okay, what does this look like? Can I even do this? Um, and started showing up every single day doing something that I, again, it was like you said, you prove to yourself, oh, I can do this. I'm dependable. I'm trustworthy in what I say I'm going to do. And that builds. Um, so I love that you put it that way because that even unlocked something for me as part of my journey that I hadn't thought about in that context before. Um, that's cool. Yeah, love it, love it. So when you talk about um, you know the confidence and the belief, you also talk about something called the belief triad. Can you tell us a little bit about like what is that? All right. I love this concept. Um, and, and some people have asked me, where did you learn it? I was like, I made it up. <laughs> all right. I'm the author. 
Okay. So the belief triad uh, is belief in yourself. We've all heard that. You have to mm-hmm. believe in you. Right. Belief in your art. Well, yeah, we've heard that too. But what people don't talk about is you also have to believe in your buyer. You have to believe in your audience. And that's what people don't talk about. And that's the biggest saboteur because we're sitting there trying to sell our art and we're thinking all kinds of thoughts like, oh, she doesn't have the money to pay for that. She won't pay these prices. Nobody buys art in my town. So all these things are not believing in your buyer, not having that belief. Hmm. So how does somebody move into a situation where they start to get some belief in their buyer, right? Maybe they had a situation where they tried to price something and it failed miserably. And then they're going, see, that just reinforced my my thought of, oh, they don't have that money or this situation I thought was true about, you know, the, the lack of belief in the buyer. Um, how does somebody break through that then? Well, it may, it may not be the money just because somebody says, <laughs> so you can't always believe. So we have the thoughts that we have in our, in our head and then the things that we say, which are not always everything we're thinking. Uh, you know, somebody may not want it. And often we think cheaper is easier to sell and they didn't buy it because of the price mm-hmm. when actually that's not true. So they did blind taste studies of wine and they told people um, that, you know, what the prices of the wines were. And they found in the study that people rated the wines that they were told were more expensive as being better. So sometimes it's easier to sell something with a higher price tag because if you price it too low, your buyers are going to wonder what the heck is wrong with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And they're going to turn their nose up at it. You know, people who are, so again, with the wine analogy, my husband loves wine. He would never buy a $7 bottle of wine. Now there's people who feel that way about art. That's priced too low. Mm. Yeah. It's not good enough. Right. Yeah. What's wrong with it? It's the, it's the close out the yeah. bargain bin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Why is this too low? So if you're having struggle, trouble selling it, it, that may not be the reason. What I walk through in the book is an overcoming objections chart. And the reason I put that in the book, it's not about trying to sell your art at all costs and talk people into it. That's not what selling's about. But it's really important, Mike, when you're hearing objections from customers to understand where they're coming from. Because if you're thinking, if they're presenting, I can't afford it, it's too expensive, blah, 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 whatever it is there that they're presenting, if you're thinking that and believing that your prices, it's because your prices are too high and you start lowering your prices, <laughs> that's not a good idea. Right. So uh, a lot of the times when people are making a purchasing decision, there's a couple of things, there's a couple of things going through their mind. One of them is they're afraid of making a mistake. They're afraid of making a mistake. So there's things that you can do to alleviate that. But another thing that it's in terms of pricing that's going through their mind. So Mike, if I was looking to buy your, uh, I'm looking at, what is that? Is that Wonder Woman behind us? Yep. Wonder Woman's up there. Okay. So if um, you were selling me the Wonder Woman painting and you told me, I don't know what it is. Let's just pretend it's $2,000. So what's going through my mind is not whether, Mike, you are worth $2,000. It's not whether your painting is worth $2,000. It's whether I, Miriam Shulman, is worth spending $2,000 to buy this thing that I want. If mm-hmm. I'm So they're worrying about whether they're worth the investment. And this conversation actually 
literally comes up. It's more obvious when somebody is buying art as a gift. So I had this conversation recently where uh, one of my friends from college wanted to buy a, a painting of Italy for me. And in her mind, it was $200. And I told her it was $750. And it she didn't say it's too expensive. She was buying it for her daughter. She said, I don't think my daughter is worth buying original art for. So it wasn't that she doubted the mm. painting was too expensive. So these are the things we have to know and understand is really understanding what is the psychology that's going on in a buyer's mind when you, and that's how we'll help you talk to them in a way that makes sense. Because if they're hesitating, it's not lowering the price isn't going to help make the sale if that's not what their true objection is. Right, right. Are there tips for people to be able to navigate those conversations a little more successfully so they can figure out what those points are? Yes. So you mentioned earlier about introverts. A lot of artists are introverts. You know, we like being alone, making art in our studio. And we think that the selling is about talking people into things. And it isn't. Right. It's about asking questions and talking to them. So uncovering that, like, for example, with my friend, that the, it was a gift for her daughter, but she was more than happy to spend that amount of money on her husband for something different. So it's about asking questions and being a good listener. And guess what? Us introverts, we're great listeners. So you just have to lean into that natural ability to care about what your customer is thinking and have empathy and compassion for, for where they're coming from and not always making it about you because it's not mm -hmm. about you. Like I said before, they're, right. they're thinking about whether they're worth investing in. They're worrying about making a mistake. So having compassion for where they're coming from will help those conversations tremendously. And that's what I talk about in Artpreneur. Yeah, yeah. And I love that because you you kind of reframe things for people so that I think somebody creates something, it's a painting, it's whatever they created, and then they go, okay, now I need to go sell this. And they, they all of a sudden flip the switch in their brain and they go, well, selling means I made this thing, you want to buy it? I made this thing, you want to buy it? You want to buy it? Here, you know? And what you're saying is no actually have conversations ask questions figure out more so of where the person's coming from where the value is um and 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 lean into that process as opposed to just pushing on buy my thing right because <laughs> nobody wants buy my thing we yeah. don't as, as people we don't like to receive that either like no buy my thing? no thanks no and i even provide in artpreneur a chart of words to avoid in your marketing copy and in your conversations and the word buy is one of them because we as humans don't like that word buy b-u-y uh so would you like to collect it would you like to invest in it to to substitute words because so, so buy has this feeling of they're giving up money to buy something mm -hmm. we're collecting it's emphasizing that they are gaining something yeah. when yeah. and and it's also good for you to have that idea in your mind too they're not buying it they're collecting it so it changed the conversation not just for the customer but it changes the conversation in your own mind and i do talk a lot about that in entrepreneur about how to reset our minds i go through a lot of the common um limiting beliefs that we have and the negative stories we tell ourselves so that you can recognize that and substitute it with something that's more empowering mm -hmm. yeah that you tape also in mentioned your mind 
Yeah. You also mentioned about how like many times we're looking to other people and what they're doing and models that may actually not be right. They may have, you know, they may be doing something wrong or they may have some bad wording or some uh, um, not experiencing success. And yet we think from the outside, like, oh, well, they're doing that. I need to emulate what they're doing over there. And then we just perpetuate this continued broken system and broken language <laughs> as we show up, Yes, you know? Yes. So I, you know, when you try to crowdsource your prices by looking around at what other artists are charging, but they have their own money drama and mind drama around pricing. They have their own starving artist mindset. You don't want to copy their starving artist mindset, but even like on the more sophisticated level, my friends and I were talking about, there's some people in the marketing space who are, you know, they're influencers. They're doing really well. And we'll say, well, I don't, I don't understand how she gets away with doing this. And we have to remind ourselves She's not successful because she's doing this wonky donk thing that we think, why, why, how is she getting away with it? She's she's successful in spite of it. Mm-hmm. So that's why you have to be very careful about modeling other people and copying other people if you don't fully agree or understand with what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why it's so valuable. The research that you're putting out in this book um, is because it's contextualized and it's not simply just la- allowing people to, to run loose and figure out for themselves of, okay, will this work? Like, you you know, you even mentioned, I think earlier about, you know, it being a different industry, not just simply being able to take that and overlay it on top of what we're doing. Um, there still needs to be a contextualization piece. Um, and for, for many creatives who don't, selling doesn't come naturally and, and the, you know, promotions and all that and things doesn't come naturally. I think there's a tendency to want to go the easy route of let me just take the overlay and then slap it on top of my thing. And that way I don't have to really think about it too much or really, you know, figure some things out because somebody else has figured it out for me. And then I can just go back to doing what I is that I really want to do, which is creating. Right. But we do ourselves a huge disservice when we attempt that not only because the information that we're applying is is wrong or or we're applying it the wrong way. um, But then also we're not developing that skill and that ability to talk about what we create and to sell, right? And to connect with the people who actually want the things that we're making, right? Yeah, and um, if if you just reframe it in your own mind, instead of thinking of it as selling, as sharing, and think about developing those relationships, that's the biggest key. So one of the stories I talk about in Artpreneur is about Matisse's collectors. So there were two sisters, the Cone sisters from Baltimore, and the younger one, Etta Cone, outlived her sister for quite a bit, and she collected a lot of Matisse. So th- these two women had tremendous wealth. So their family supplied the cotton, not just for the uniforms for, I believe, it was World War One, but also the cotton for Levi Strauss. Mm. So they made the uber uber yeah. wealthy. You know, like. Paris Hilton wealthy, right. or, or I, I don't know who who we like who is wealthy right now that we can like say, but you know I don't like bring up the bad guys. Okay, yeah. so they were they were uber uber wealthy, and they also were connected with Gertrude Stein because she had spent some time in Baltimore, and so when they went to abroad to Paris, Gertrude Stein introduced these two sisters to Picasso and Matisse and and that circle. So yes, they collected. Um, Picasso, they collected a hundred Picassos, but by the time of Etta Cohn's death, she had collected 700 
artworks by Matisse, Mm. 700. So seven times as many. What made the difference? Well, the the curators of the Baltimore Museum have shown that Matisse wrote letters to Etta and nurtured that relationship. She he would send her works in progress pictures. He would talk about what he was working on. He would say, "Oh, this would fit in with your collection." But he would he was he was building that relationship and that friendship. So there was a recent exhibit at the Baltimore Museum that was basically Etta Cohn. I forget the exact title. It's something like Etta Cohn and Matisse's friendship, something like that. So. What does that mean for us artists? Well, how can we emulate that? We can send emails to our customers. So when you have some, when you're selling in person, when you're in person with your art, any person who comes into your space, you think about starting a relationship with them. And if you can get their email, that's just as much as a win as their buying your art and talking to them and finding out, doing that kind of that market research. What is it that they're responding to? Mm -hmm. What is it that they like and don't like? You don't really get that information on social media. People will just swipe by it. They won't necessarily stop and tell you, do you have it in purple? (laughs) You know, so, (laughs) uh, and that's the kind of thing you will learn in person. I love that, but it's too small or whatever, whatever it is. I'm being very specific. So first of all, selling a person, you get that market research. Second of all, you can build your email list and it's nurturing those collectors and prospects over time is how they're going to lead into these, to your most avid fans and your Mm -hmm. most avid collectors. Yeah. And I forget the question. I just went off in a tangent that <laughs> felt right. Was there a question? No, no. It, it, I, no, I appreciate where we landed because honestly, we overcomplicate things so much sometimes. Uh, and, and ultimately, it comes back to relationships. Yes. Right? It comes back to just having those conversations, being curious about somebody, um, engaging with somebody, and not simply just showing up with an agenda. Um, but truly building relationship. And whether the tool is in person at at a show someplace or just even at a party or wherever or if it's through email like you're mentioning um it's the same rules apply where it's you know be a person be (laughs) be you know the kind of person that you would want to hang out with right um build the relationships there and get to know somebody and and um and like see the organicness also um there's there's a beauty to that because you can find out things and form connections that wouldn't be made otherwise if you're simply just following a script or pushing something. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's that's huge. And you know, you mentioned also in your book about how like email really is the thing at which we should be pouring into, not necessarily social media, because you know we think well, relationship. Yeah, I'm I'm having some kind of relationship with people on social media, and depending upon what platform you're on and all the rest of that, uh, some of that may or may not be true. But we've also seen recently how changes in social media can completely disrupt something that we may be trying to build and rely on, right? Like Instagram changes to video format and all of a sudden all the pictures that I was posting, they're getting zero engagement and it's like I'm non-existent or, you know, things that are happening with the Twitterverse right now, which we won't even go into, but like, you know, there's so many things that are outside our control and yet email is the thing that, that we can still show up. And it's like us writing the letter and, and putting it in the mail and going here, I'm thinking of you yes. and this is the system I'm using, right? So Exactly. Um, so it's just you think about Matisse sending that letter to Etta Cohn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this is this is something that's worked for 
how long? Hundreds of years, you know, like the yeah. letters. Yeah. So now I'm ready to get on my soapbox. Are you are you okay. ready to right. buckle up? Because okay, I'm gonna I get up. very passionate <laughs> when I start talking about email versus social media. Okay. Okay. So when I handed in my first manuscript, I got a lot of flack from one of the editors. How come she's not teaching them how to make TikToks? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I I realized in the first version of my manuscript, I didn't do a good enough job of laying out a case about why email is so much more important than social media. And I'm going to give you just the highlights today. All right, so when it. I when I first started writing the book, the average engagement rate on Instagram was 1%. By the time I went to edit it, it had dropped. It had dropped to 0.6%. Hmm. 0.6%. What's point? If you have like 1,000 followers, that's six people engaging with it. Okay. So what about an influencer? We have all these influencers as well. I can teach you how to get better engagement rates, right? We've all seen those ads on our feed. Okay. So the average person, average engagement rate, 0.6%. The average influencer, it's a little better. It's 1.18%. Pathetic. It's pathetic. Okay. Now on email, we were just going to talk averages. We're we're better than average, by the way. I I, I think we can all agree on that. That <laughs> yeah. you know, okay. But the average open rate on email is eighteen percent. And people say, "Well, wait, Miriam, not everyone opens my emails." Okay. Well, first of all, eighteen percent is a lot better. But here's the real difference. The real difference is that people who get your email, they decide if they're going to open it. Mm-hmm. On Instagram, the algorithm decides if they even see it. Yeah. No, I'm not a gambling girl, but if I was, I would gamble on email. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's significant. And I yeah, think people- the, the, the numbers don't lie. And then there's the other thing, which I call the death of the scroll. So we're all being encouraged mm-hmm. to create TikToks and reels. But if you've ever been, noticed when you look at a reel in, or a TikTok in your feed, what's it doing before you even get to the end of it? Is it, are you, are you about to go check out their bio? No, it's, they're already trying to get you to swipe up to the next thing. I call it the death of the scroll. So you can follow someone on TikTok and never see their stuff ever again. Mm, Yeah. And people are pouring so much time, energy, effort, money into that. Way too much time. There was somebody, there was an artist I was speaking to in England and she was um, saying, I don't have, I'm posting five times a week and blah, 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 blah. I said, stop it. You should be spending your time researching these in-person art fairs, especially if you live in England. I mean, their art market, I don't know if you're aware of this, Mike, but they're, you know, in the United States, it can, it's some, it's a little iffy, a little fishy, a little sketchy sometimes. The art fairs, they can be a little more like a flea market. Yeah. But in England, it's it's a much it's a much better game over there. Like the those art fairs, they they value art and it's a little more of an elevated experience. I was like, put your time into researching those experiences and applying to them. That's where your time should be spent. Not, yeah. not creating content for the Zuckerverse. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's liberating for somebody too, because then they don't feel like they have to be everywhere all the time. That's right. It's more things I have to do that I can't even keep on top of the things that I need to do, let alone the creating of the actual things that I'm making, <laughs> you know? 
Yeah. Yeah. And then I don't know if you heard this, because I don't know why people aren't talking about this more, but uh, Mark Rubio and some other congressmen are, they're putting forward bipartisan legislation to shut down TikTok in the United States. Hmm. This is not something you want to be investing your time in. Right. And yeah. and like you said, the shenanigans over on Twitter, like mm-hmm. can do a whole podcast on that. <laughs> yeah. But the the email systems that we we have, we can pour into. Um, I, and I think one of the things that is probably the most common thing is I don't know what to say. Right. Yeah. Like, what do I put in my email? Do I just put a picture of the thing I made and say I made this thing? And, you know, yeah. again, I think it goes back to asking yeah, questions. Yeah, people right? have no problem knowing what to say on Instagram. I tell my clients to just put the same thing in the email. Don't, but here's, here's the problem is that we've grown up thinking that it has to be a newsletter. Mm-hmm. Stop calling it a newsletter in your mind. Stop calling it that. It's just all you have to have is one thing, one picture. Hey, this is what I'm doing in my studio today. How are you? That's pretty much it. Right. You know, here, here's my cat. Here's my, here's my painting. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. it. You don't have to say buy it. Yeah. Just talk about it. Yeah. And, and it goes back to what we were talking about before, as far as asking questions, right? Um, like even for, for subject lines, if you're worried about, is somebody going to even open my email or not? You know, think about something that would be engaging. What's a question that you can ask or something that's intriguing that makes somebody want to open that to find out what are they talking about? You know, um, invest more time there than in checking likes and all the rest of the whatnot on social media, um, because that at least is is time well spent in you're also developing your craft of writing and thinking, Yeah, you know, and talking about your art. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing when you're in that booth and you're, you're learning what people are responding to, what they're interested in, what their questions are. That's why in-person is so valuable. And thankfully the world is opening up again. So, you know, we, yeah. like, you know when I first started writing, I was like, <laughs> well, should I talk about in-person? Like when's the pandemic ending? You know? <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. I think people are hungry for it right now, especially because the, 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 it was like non-existent. So now it's like, okay, I need to be amongst some people. I need to be out in some shows and some live events and some things. Um, yeah. and so- All the artists who work with me, wherever they live in the world are reporting back that their sales right now in person are off the charts. Hmm. Yeah. Of course it's because they've been working with me. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. Of course it is. No, but people are hungry. Like I said, in the beginning of this podcast, the world needs our art. Art is what gives meaning, whether it's music or drama or film or painting or ceramics or sculpture. This is what makes life worth living is this beauty. That's why there were paintings in the caves thousands of years ago. Art is important Mm -hmm. and it's not going anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I love this. This conversation is amazing. Um, And I want to thank you for the, the, the things you've put into your book, the things that you, how you show up even for your podcast. Um, I want to ask you one last question of like, when you're where you are now, you know, you're, you're teaching things, you're coaching, you're creating resources for people. Um, how, how was your journey looked as far as the iterations of, okay, going from somebody who was being more of the practitioner of I'm making this art, I'm going out selling these things to then being more of the guide. Um, and do you still, you know, manage both uh, of those things where you're like, what does that look like? How do you, 
um, navigate those waters? That's a great question. So I still have um, passive income of my art prints on site. So I, I am selling art and people do approach me, like I mentioned the other day, like my uh, I'm not actively going to going in person right now. I, I most of my creativity has gone into this book. Mm -hmm. So this book became my art and I put everything into it. So it's it, it you you only have a certain amount of creativity in you and this was something we were talking about before this is why artists they can spend time marketing their art because how much genius time do you really have for your creativity for right. me it, it's never more than four hours i don't know about you mike yeah yeah <laughs> and, we, and i think they've done research that says like that has been a number that they found across the board like whether they were throughout time whether it was hemingway or um composers is that you really only have about four hours of genius time in you and then the rest of the day for your work should be marketing and whether it is your whether you're a self-representing artist and marketing things on your own or if you are marketing to a gallery. So that's what a lot of artists forget is that they think a gallery is going to come and rescue them, but you have to market to them and build a relationship to them so that they want to sell your art. So either way, you can't really get around it. You do have to put like half of your time into, into building those relationships as well. But you were asking me, what does it look like right now? I am loving my podcast. I'm loving working with clients. I still do practice my art, but just not, it doesn't look the same as it did 10, 15 years ago when that was the only thing that I did. Right. And I'm assuming that it affords you to be a, a little more choosy in how you want to show up for that, as opposed to having to rely on that. And then maybe even doing some things where you're like, eh, you know, I've kind of like moved on from this particular style or this look or this theme or whatever, but I still need to do it because I need to make a living, right? 100%. <laughs> so one of the things that I've allowed myself the luxury to do um, right now during the pandemic. Uh, so I mentioned earlier, I built a, a, a business out of portraits. That was my thing. It was watercolor portraits, realistic watercolor portraits. And I did other kinds of art as well, but that was the meat and potatoes of what I did. So during the pandemic, I really didn't want to paint realistically. Mm -hmm. um, there was just so much chaos in the world and I was turning inward. And so I've been experimenting a lot with abstract art. Now, will this be something that I end up marketing and selling? I don't know yet. I don't know what that looks like yet. I could end up returning to watercolors. I do know, this is what we were saying before, nothing is wasted. Mm -hmm. I know when I return to watercolor, uh, when that time comes, if it comes, it will look a lot different than mm -hmm. it did 20 years ago. I mean, of course it would have anyway, even if I had stayed with it the whole right. time, but yes, yeah. to answer your question. Yes. It's, it's allowed me the luxury of experimentation, which I, which I really embrace. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so important because I think when you don't have a place where you can play and experiment and break things sometimes without yeah. monetary repercussions or worrying about clients or whatever else customers, then you don't have a place for true freedom to be able to go like, what if, well, what happens if, um, which can lead you to some pretty amazing breakthroughs that sometimes it's just for yourself and other times you're carrying it back over to another context and reintroducing something um, in a new in a new way um, or a new product or, or a new part of your style. Um, and Absolutely. to be able to have that place is so valuable. And I don't hear enough people talk about that, you know. Yeah, because your art can get really stale if you're if you're just reproducing yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome.
Well, let us know where can people find your book and you have uh, a, a sample chapter, right? That people can download so they can check that out. That's right. So you can get chapter one, choose to believe, and you can get that at shulmanart.com forward slash believe. Shulman is S-C-H-U-L-M-A-N-A-R-T. You can come find me on Instagram. If you DM me the word believe, we will magically send you the chapter. Nice. If you do send me a personal message, though, I do answer it personally. Yes. Uh, so, yeah. I can attest and, to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, the book is available everywhere. So if you have people who don't live in the U.S., Mike, you can get mm -hmm. free worldwide shipping by going to bookdepository.com. We have linked all the places you can find the book in artpreneurbook.com, which does include with some really juicy bonuses. So uh, it depends when they're listening to this, but there's a 12 part video series where I work in my art journal and then I give you some behind the scenes stuff that you don't find out in the book or I, and sometimes I read from the book and I give you a little bit of some of my art journal technique, which I, which I just do for self-exploration. So you get that. And there's a couple of other bonuses trying to think what artists would like. Oh, I have the art, the artpreneur appendix, which is a list of all those print on demand and how you put your art in a room, like all the different softwares that people are always asking us. Do you get that question a lot, Mike? Oh, like, yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. So I put that all in a resource for you. So you don't have to waste any time procrastinating on the internet. <laughs> I give it to you. And so the, again, that's artpreneurbook.com. You buy the book, you enter your order number in there and we'll set you up with all those bonuses. Awesome. Awesome. And, and the release date is in January, correct? January, yes. 2003. Yeah. January 31st. It 31st. will be in some, some stores. I don't know which ones, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. it'll be some Barnes and Nobles. You can always ask for it too. If you really don't want to buy a book, you can go to the library. If you live in the United States and, and request, they order the book for you. Uh, we just yeah. want to make sure this gets in as many hands as possible. Yes, yes. And I agree. It's important that this happens. Uh, just again, having read this book and, and seeing the value in there and seeing how you show up and um, the lessons that you've learned that you're passing on to other people, um, people need to take advantage of opportunities to lean into that because they'll save themselves a world of pain and trouble and also get some clarity and some direction that they very much need. So thank you for doing that. Well, thank you. And lastly, I just want to make sure we mentioned too, uh, we, we mentioned a little bit along the way, but your podcast, right? Um, oh, Inspiration yes. Place. So, oh, you're yeah. so generous. Thank you for, thank you for reminding me. Yes. If you like the Kool-Aid I've been dishing out this mm -hmm. hour, there's more where that came from. I have the Inspiration Place podcast. Yeah. So I talk to artists and I talk to marketers and we talk about mindset. So a lot of the same things we talked about today, either you'll hear me ranting and raving or talking about <laughs> with my guests. Yes. Yes. And, uh, it's another great resource as well. So, and of course you're listening to a podcast right now. So adding another one in the queue, uh, that continues conversations like this, I think is really important. I know for me in my own journey, I was always looking for opportunities to do that because it helped me grow and it helped me, uh, get introduced to other people too, that I needed to learn from and grow from. So thank you for doing all that. It's awesome. Yeah, well, thank you. I know creating a podcast is a lot of work, Mike. So thank you for having me on. Thanks for listening today. I'd appreciate it if you would subscribe, leave a rating and a review. It really helps this podcast be seen and heard by others. 